Bibles to John chapter 13, while I get this booted up here. Turning to John chapter 13, we're going to continue our discussion of this most important topic. The 4th century theologian Jerome uh, tells a story about the Apostle John. So John wrote this letter, we're going to look into one of John's letters. He wrote this book, and we're going to look into one of his letters a little bit later. And this is what Jerome said about him, as he aged and was old and frail, unable to walk anymore, his disciples would carry him into the church, into the gathering of believers on the Lord's day. And every week as he aged, these were the words that he said to the congregation. Little children, and you see this in his epistles, little children love one another. This went on week after week until at last more than a little bit weary of hearing the same words all the time, his disciples asked him, Master, why do you always say this? Because, John replied, it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. The world writes lots of songs about love. I alluded to a couple of them last week. I thought of a few more this week. What the world needs now is what? Yeah, the Beatles wrote a song, All You Need Is Love. All you need. And that's provocative. There's a lot of truth in it. I googled how to make rat poison. Do you know what ingredients are in it? Cornmeal, flour, peanut butter, These are different blends. I look at four different recipes. Sugar, hot cocoa, baking soda, which creates a problem, and then even mashed potato flakes. Mix all that together, but just do something that's not... Everything in it's healthy, but you mix it in such a way, or you can add uh, just a little bit of cyanide, a little bit of poison to it if you want. Something is wrong with it, and it's deadly, There's something wrong with the world's definition of love that is deadly. As I was studying this and preaching and preparing to preach it, this word came into my mind, love quotient. I said, here's what we need for, this will help us. What if we could come up with like a love quotient and say Jesus is at 10 and Satan is at 0 and then I'm somewhere in between? And then I could just start working on increasing my love quotient, increasing my capacity to love other people. And I thought that was a great idea. So I Googled just to make sure I was on to something fresh. Love quotient, somebody beat me to it. There's a book out there that must be popular because it just sprung up online. And it's called The Love Quotient. And it talks about the same things that I'm talking about, the capacity to love, how you can be more successful by learning to love other people. However... And I I encourage you, Google it later and read excerpts from it. 
The diagram that you're going to see in a few moments has got the vertical beam of the cross, love for God, the circle, our love, the love of God in us, and then us loving ourselves, and then our ability to love others with the horizontal beam. If you take the vertical completely out of that picture and just have a circle, you, and then flowing out, that's what this book is all about. It doesn't mention God at all. The whole focus, and you'll read it, is on self-love and self-care. The need to, and this is the, the idea, you need to love yourself, and then you'll be able to somehow treat other people better. And there's, again, some truth to that. But that's it. That's the world's perspective. That's the way they identify all the problems. And that's the solution that they offer. And so I want to talk about love quotient, but with the whole picture put together, seen from God's perspective. And I want to remind us, this is a verse you've got to memorize. I preached it last week, and I preached it a few years ago. And it is, even when I preached it a couple years ago, I didn't notice, I just, but the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of everything that we do when we tell other people about God, when we try to influence other people, when we try to give other people counsel or a word of advice or just we listen to them and then God gives us something to say to them. The goal of all of our instruction, the goal of all of my sermons, the goal of every radio program, the goal of every Wednesday morning Bible study is love. But then last week we emphasized love that flows from the sole source of this kind of love is a pure heart, a good conscience that functions the way God has created it to function. So that means it has to be accurately uh, gauged and an un, literally an unhypocritical faith. From that flows the kind of love the Bible talks about. It does have a vertical dimension first. When Jesus was asked, what is the first, what, what is the greatest commandment? He said, first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love God completely. Then if you love God completely, you'll see what he says about you. And it's great. But then you'll, you'll love yourself as God sees you. And you will love yourself correctly. Not as take the vertical out and you're the center of the universe and it's all about you. You have to love yourself the way God says you are and the way you ought to love yourself. And then you can begin to love others compassionately. So that's going to kind of be our model as we move into today's text. And in today's couple of verses, we're going to see that Jesus' command to love one another has five unique characteristics that just jump out at us in these two verses. So go there with me, won't you? Verse 34, let's read 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the first unique characteristic is that this love is exceptional. And by that, I mean it's not ordinary. It's way above average in quality. 
It needs special attention. Jesus said that it is a new commandment. Now, I don't... I get really paranoid about looking at words. I want them to say what they say, and I don't want to make them say more than they say or something wrong that they don't really say, and a lot of preachers really focus on that. It's not naos, the typical Greek word for new, but it's kanen, which means like fresh. It might sort of mean that, but I looked up both words and studied them, and they have a, you know, they have a range of meanings that overlap, and both of them can mean basically the same thing. So I don't think the new that he's talking about is seen in the word itself, I don't think. I think it's more, it, it's deeper than that. So let's look at this. Why would he say this commandment is new? In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and Jesus, that's what he's quoting in Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 39. He's quoting Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is way back in Moses' day. So it's not new in that way, then Jesus, in his own teaching, he clarified that, that commandment, didn't he? He taught the parable of the Good Samaritan, for instance, because they were trying to justify themselves, and they said, well, who is my neighbor? Because my neighbor can't mean the Samaritans, can it? My, my uh, neighbor can't mean the Gentiles, certainly. And so Jesus teaches them that parable. And so, so he's clarifying in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tweaked their understanding of how you do love your neighbor. And now, now now get this, this is what we're after. This is the night before he died. Chapters 13 through 17 of John are all stuff that happened at the Last Supper. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples a little bit earlier in chapter 13. We read that Judas has already left. So who is Jesus talking to when he says this? Eleven disciples. That small little group who are sitting there afraid. They are very anxious. He has told them tomorrow he's going to die. And they have no idea what's going on. And he says to them, after Judas gets up and betrays him, goes out to betray him, he says to these 11 disciples, he said, a new, so got to get that. He's sitting there with them. These guys that he's been with for three years. John, who has seen it all. He's already washed their feet. Earlier in the chapter, we read that. So John has experienced this. John sees Jesus. He's held him. He's touched him. He's listened to him. He's lived with him for three years. And now Jesus says to these 11 frightened disciples, Jesus says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love the other 10. That's what he says first. And we have to be careful before we figure out how then to apply it. That you guys love one another as I have loved you. I just washed your feet. What do you think I was doing? And by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. So let's get that first. This love, is something's new about it. It's, it's exceptional. It's also exclusive. 
In the sense of, I'm not saying he's saying don't love anybody else. We'll come to that later. Yeah, he, he says love your enemies. Love everybody. Don't even ask whether they're your neighbor. At the end of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is teaching that the question is about us. Are we a neighbor to other people? So yes, we're supposed to love everybody, but there's something new about this commandment when he exclusively says you have to love one another. You have to love the other Christians around you first. Now, as we think about how that might begin to apply to the church, let me just read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians probably 30, 40 years after Jesus said this. Paul said to the Thessalonians, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anybody to write to you. you are, you've heard it a million times. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren. This, I think, is a word for our church. Indeed, you do practice. There's a lot of love in this room. There's a lot of ways that we love each other. When we reach out and you sign up to bring a meal to the farmer family in their grief, boom, I got a text back from them this week. The love of Christ is evident in this church family. So there's a lot of love here. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, this is a word to us, to excel still more. So we're all growing in this. We want our church to grow in this. We want the love quotient of of each of us as individuals to get closer and closer to 10. And we want the love quotient of our church family to just keep growing and growing and increasing and excelling still more. But it is this commandment, this new commandment, has to do with right here, loving one another. Do we have an example? Yeah. This love is exemplified. Just as I have loved you, we see it in Jesus At the beginning of the chapter, it says he loved his disciples and he loved his own and he loved them to the end. And then he takes off his robe and he girds himself and he washes their feet. We'll come back to, well, let's read it right now. Just go back a few verses. You're in chapter 13. Go to verse 12. So after he has washed their feet, after he had washed his feet and taken his garments and then reclined again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? I've exemplified it. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. That's who I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Is he commanding us to wash each other's feet? He's not talking about washing feet. He's talking about something else. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did. In other words, put yourself below everybody else. God's on the gold medal stand. Everybody else is on the silver medal stand. I'm on the bronze medal stand at best. I should just get down on the floor. 
That should be this mindset that we have in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Consider one another as more important than yourself. That's the kind of love Jesus is talking about. So, how did Jesus love his disciples? Just as, now this is another one that some of you couldn't care less about what I'm about to say, but to me it's a big deal. The word just as in the Greek is uh, kathos, which is a word, I couldn't even find anybody that had written anything about it. It's a, uh, a preposition, and so it doesn't get much attention. So some preachers really go to town with this, just as. So let's look at every single little way that Jesus loved people, and that's them. Yeah, I get, he is our model, he is our example for sure. But it might, I don't want to just overdo that. I want to just say, he just said, just as I have loved you, in the way I've loved you, yes, but also the fact that I've loved you this way is what makes it necessary for you to love each other. But let's talk for a few moments about how did Jesus love them? Let us count the ways. Did Jesus love them authentically? Did he do it from a pure heart? Yeah. Did he do it from a good conscience? Did he do it from an unhypocritical faith? Yeah. Did Jesus love them unconditionally? Yes. His love for his disciples is unconditional. Did he love them non-reciprocally? Did he, live, did he love them because they loved him first? No. Because he loved them first. Did he love them self-sacrificially? Did he love them self-abandoningly? Did he love them humbly, mercifully, compassionately, patiently, joyfully, kindly, goodly? I'm going through the fruit of the Spirit. Did he do it well? Yeah. Uh, Faithfully? Gently? Did he love them without reserve? And without limit? Yeah. And that is what he's, that's a 10. And that's what he's calling you and me to. So where, where would you put yourself if you gave yourself a number? Of how you love the brethren. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not saying this again to to just chew you out. I want the Holy Spirit to show us. To give us wisdom. To help us see how do I love. And in what ways don't I? When I'm irritated with someone. How do I respond? When I just kind of want to avoid that brother or sister. For whatever reason. Where's my love quotient? So it's exemplified. And now turn to 35. Let's go back to 34 and 35. Let's read verse 35. We're going to get our next two points. The next unique characteristic of this love that Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 35. By this, all men, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So, fourthly, this love is evidential. This is the evidence by this. Not by the fact that you go to church on Sunday. Or you read your Bible or you pray. 
Those are all great things to do that will help you do this. But it's by this. This is the evidence. If that doesn't result, if all of that instruction doesn't result in the goal of love from a pure heart and a good conscience and an unhypocritical faith, then it's worthless. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Boom. If you do all these things, but without love, worthless. But specifically, your love for that person right next to you and behind you. By this, in Galatians 6 2, Paul wrote, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul refers to this commandment as the law of Christ. Keep your left hand here. This is the only place I'm going to ask you to turn. Go back to the first letter of John. Head back toward Revelation. If you get there, back up a little bit. Go to 1 John. This is John now as an old man. This is when he would come to church and just say, little children, love one another. Over and over. And he wrote this letter. And he talks a lot about love. Let's look at some of the verses. 1 John chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. So again, John was there that night. John had his own feet washed by Jesus himself. He knew what was going on here. He saw Jesus crucified, saw him, his resurrected body, heard these words. This is how important it was maybe 50 years later by the time John writes this letter. This is how important that commandment of Jesus was for him the whole time. That's why we come back to this periodically. But look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner that he walked in. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. Now he's talking about the beginning of the gospel. He's talking about back to from Jesus' time on. That commandment is now not a new commandment. It's the commandment. It's the law of Christ. The old commandment is the word which you have heard, the gospel that came to you. On the other hand, though, it's fresh. I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, now watch this, The one who says he's in the light, I'm a Christian, and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains or abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. Now listen, you might be saying to yourself at this point, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate my brother. If we do not love the other person the way Jesus loved us, we hate them. That's the way the Bible talks. It's, a, it's an either or. It is either you love them or you hate them. And so when I'm acting out against you in some way that's not loving, I'm hating you. And then I think I'm in the light, but... If the, but the light in me is actually darkness. 
because my eyes, because I don't have a, a pure heart. I don't have a good conscience. My conscience is messed up. My conscience is saying, it's okay for me to do that to you. It's okay for me to say that to you. It's okay for me to look at you that way. It's okay. Because my conscience is messed up. My conscience is saying, because I want to do it, or I feel like doing it, or you deserve it, or whatever my rationality is, my rationalization is. My conscience is messed up, and I'm in the dark. The one who hates his brother, acts unloving toward his brother, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this is what we're looking for as we study this. We're looking in the mirror and we're saying, how do I do this so that my love quotient is down here? Chapter 3, verse 11. Just stick with me a few more minutes. Chapter 3, 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, from the time we came and preached the gospel to you, that we should do what? Love one another. Jump down to 14. We know the evidence that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. It's evidence even to us that, it, that we're really Christians because we love each other. He who doesn't love abides in death. He's still living in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. How do we know love? That he laid down his life for us. Watch this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now that might be literal, but usually it's just figurative. How do I lay down my life for that person over there? But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and then closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. Little children, let us not love with word or tongue. I love you. Have a good week. I'll be praying for you. But in deed and truth. And then let's look at let's see. Let's look at chapter four. Last last one. Chapter four, verses seven through twelve. Beloved, do you get the point? Beloved, he's just writing this stuff. And it was hard to write back then. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested among us. It was visible. We saw it. By what? That God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might then have life, live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It goes on and on and on. What I think part of what John is saying is that the love of God is, if if the love of God is here, then that is a manifestation of God 
among us. You know, I, he will be Emmanuel. That, that means God is here. The manifestation of the reality of God is found when Christians love one another. The reality of the, the manifestation of the very existence of God. Dawkins wants evidence. That, was the, that will be the evidence. When, Christ, when we love one another, people will be able to see that God is real. The invisible God is seen in, he was seen in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He's seen today where? In Jesus Christ, in his body on the earth, in you and me, in this church. That's where it's visible, manifest. This new community that he has created by this. Read verse 35 one more time. Look at verse 35. No, verse 34 and 35. Let's see how many times love one another shows up, okay? 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. There's one. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. That's two. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Three times in two verses. So, in verse 35, by the, uh, we'll get point number five as well. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's going to have this result, this effect. This love, the next unique characteristic of this love is that it is effectual. It, it accomplishes something. Everyone will know. Tertullian, a hundred years after John wrote this, said that the pagans, he quoted the pagans as saying, see how they love one another? Listen to this. How ready they are to die for one another? Now in that context, in the Roman persecution of the church, they literally had to, some of them had to die for one another. So that, that was part of what Jesus was saying to those 11. He was saying, when you go out from here, you're going to, it's going to get really, really ugly in the Roman Empire. And you're going to suffer for my sake. You will be persecuted just like I am persecuted. Remember when James and John's mom came and said, can, can one sit on your right and one sit on your left? And Jesus said, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Do you know the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you ready to drink that cup? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll drink that cup. He said, you're going to drink that cup. But I can't tell you who's going to sit on my right or left. That's up to the Father. But yeah, you're going to drink a cup. John knew all about that. He'd been living 50 years of, of hardship because of, he was a disciple of Jesus. And that's why it was so important that when they gathered together that they loved one another and the pagans could see it. It was different. Now, bear with me as I say this next thing. I hope it's clear enough for you to, to make a little bit of sense out of it. When I went to this passage, the reason I went here this week, after preaching last week's thing on love, the reason I went here is because, okay, Lord, help me understand how this is the evidence. How? Because we live in, in a culture that is so different from the first one that Jesus wrote into. Our culture is very different. Our Civilization has been so influenced by Christianity in the West that we have just here, we have Red Cross, 
We have welfare programs. We have all kinds of... Because people understand that love works, people can write a book like Love Quotient. So, so I think the, the challenge is today for how this is going to actually work as evidence that we are the disciples of Jesus is very much more complex even than it was, I think, if I'm thinking rightly, in the first century. In the first century, think about this. The Jews of Jesus' day, and, and you can see it in his teaching, they were guilty of exclusivism in a bad way. It's the Jews. We are the people of God. And they justified hating their neighbors. They were guilty of judgmentalism, harsh criticism, retaliation. That's why Jesus said, but I say to you, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, you turn to him the other also. You don't slap him back. They were guilty of vengeance, hatred, justifiable, they thought. Partiality, racism, those half-breed Samaritans, it's okay to hate them. Those pagans that worship pagan gods and sacrifice their children, it's okay to hate them. And so in that context, that's where Tertullian wrote, the pagans saw the, this new community coming out, and they were willing actually to die for each other. And so there it, it was literally fulfilled of what Jesus said. So, but today, I think Satan works, he must, and I, I, I thought I'd solve this problem and be able to give you a clear answer today. I, I haven't solved it yet. I'm still a little baffled by it. Is what does this look like, this love today? Because everybody's nice to each other, basically. And Christians are basically nice to each other, but they don't necessarily like each other any more than they like your co-workers. You know, there, there's something still missing in the distinctiveness of our love for one another, maybe. And when it does show up, though, then I think, like, when we reach out to the farmers, they saw it. When we reach out to some of you in times of trial, you see it. And it has its effect. But it isn't like the whole town writes a letter to the editor and says, wow, those Christians really love each other. That just isn't, I don't see it. So I'm still a little struggling to... But, okay, so I don't get it. There's a lot of things I don't get. Even if we don't understand it fully, or we don't understand it clearly, how this affects the outcome of Christ-like love, I, I I may not understand, but the commandment is clear that this, listen now, this is supposed to be, this must be the identifying distinctive feature of our communal life together. This is what we've got to continue to strive for as a church, right? Are you with me? This is where we need to go to raise that love quotient, to keep working. That's why you're going to hear me preach on this again sometime. We need continual reminders so we can continue to cultivate authentic, unconditional, non-reciprocal, self-sacrificing, self-abandoning from a pure heart, a good conscience, an unhypocritical faith, humble, merciful, patient, compassionate, joyful, kind, good, faithful, gentle, without reserve, without limit, love. That is what we just have to keep working for. 
How do we do that? Given the extreme importance of it, it's it's second only to the vertical. And the difficulty, the challenge of it, how can we obey this commandment? J.C. Ryle wrote, Of all the commandments of our Master, there is none which is so much talked about. Blah, blah, blah. Here's another sermon on love. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's go about our life and fall back into the old ruts. Be just as impatient as I was last week. Be just as this as I was last week. He says, there's no commandment of our master that is so much talked about and so little obeyed as this. Brethren, let us excel still more. How can we do this? John 15, 5. You're still there, I hope. John 15, 5, we read, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he's in the dining room, that person bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the key. Look up above. Romans 5, 5. Apart from Jesus, we can't do this love. We can, we can donate to charity. We can feed the poor. We can do all these things. But without love, we're a, a clanging cymbal. We're just a sounding gong. Without this, love for one another. How do we do it? Romans 5.5, 5, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Without love, where would you be now? Nowhere. I'm going to get back to how we do it. I'm just looking at a few more of the world's songs. What's love got to do with it? Everything. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, true, from God's perspective. Then I thought of love potion number nine. Wouldn't it be nice if there was just a drink? We could, we could uh, pour a little bit. We could have communion with it. And then we just, boom, we just love each other. doesn't work that way. How does it work? We tweak this diagram a little bit. Look up above. For the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the, the first step is up to God. The first is your vertical relationship with God. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, this is just a side conversation in your life. This is just a theory. You've got to come to God. And you've got to put your faith in Jesus and you've got to have your sins forgiven. Everybody get this. You first have to be reconciled to the one who created you by having your sins forgiven. Your sins are a barrier between you and God. I know most of you know this, but somebody in here might not know this. Somebody might have heard it and not understood it. Maybe today's the day it'll, the light will come on. The Holy Spirit will do it. You've got to come straight up, get straight with God by having your sins forgiven, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for you and demonstrated his love for you in that way. 
And you have to believe that and appropriate that to your own life and have your sins washed and clean. Then you love God and devote yourself to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The next step is that downward arrow. Then the love of God by the spirit that he puts within us, the love of God will be shed abroad in our hearts and we will have then the resource, the reservoir there. Jesus, in this evening, said, I will give you my peace. I will give you my joy. I will give you my love. And I will give you my spirit, the capacity to bear the fruit of love. So unless you go first vertical and receive the Holy Spirit, now I've got this love in me. Then you've got the circle. That's, that's God working in your life. That's God teaching you as you listen to sermons and read his word and pray and face the challenges in your life every day of how to love somebody. As that all happens in you, then the love can go out horizontally. Let me read one more verse. You're in chapter 13. Go to verse 4. Verse 3. Last verse I'll turn to. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God, he knew where he came from, he knew what he had been given, we can know the same things, and that he was going back to God, knowing where he was going, he knew who he was. Then he rose from supper, laid aside his garment, Taking his towel, he girded himself about. Now he's ready to go horizontal. Now he's ready to wash the disciples' feet. Now he's ready to go to the cross because he knows who he is. That's what the circle is all about, is you and me getting so loving God with our completely, receiving his love back so that we love ourselves correctly and we know who we are. Then, by the Spirit of God, we'll be able to bear fruit and we'll be able to love. But we've got to want this and we've got to pray for it and we've got to go for it. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think. How? According to the power that works within us. The Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out now your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And it's God's good pleasure that you and me learn how to love each other like Jesus loves us. So how's your love quotient doing? Where would you put yourself? Just, just pray about that. Bow your heads with me in a moment. Pray about that. Where's my love quotient, really? Do, am I really a good actor? People are amazing actors. We, we can smile. I can make that happen for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I can look like Joe Christian. I can look perfect. I can smile. I can... Yeah. How? But... What's your love quotient like, particularly toward those people around you right now? Those people. This is where it's got to start. So will you bow your heads with me? So Lord, show us how we can improve our ability 
to love other people the way Jesus loves me. Lord, show me what is my love quotient, really? How can you increase my capacity to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, starting here in this community, this church? Let's pray.